Greetings and welcome to the One Link Podcast. I'm joined again today by Brad. Hello. Good to be coming to you live, as always, from our office closet. <laughs> That's right. Now everyone knows our secret. So how are you doing today, Brad? Well, there's a bunch of pool noodles right next to my head and the slight scent of incense here. So just a typical day here in our office. Indeed. We, li we live interesting lives. That we do. Well, today, Amy, we're going to be talking about a man who's become one of your favorite missionary heroes, right? Yes. Today, I'd like to talk about William Borden. Now, I know that William has quite the story. Let me see if I remember it right. He was born in an extremely wealthy family, right? That's right. William Whitting Borden was born in 1887 to an incredibly wealthy Chicago family. His father made money in the silver mines of Colorado. Sounds a bit like our last friend, C.T. Studd. For sure. Now, on an unrelated note, I do like calling these guys by their first names, and also friend and other casual references. Makes me feel like we're buddies. I think we probably would have been buddies with William if, he'd, if we'd been around back then, so let's do it. I look forward to meeting all of them in eternity one day. So, back to William. He's got quite the story that inter intersects with a few extremely recognizable names, and when William died, the news was shared around the world. One of his epitaphs was simply, apart from Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. Wow. Okay, I'm intrigued. Tell us more about our pal, Will. Okay, that felt a little too casual. Let, tell us about William. When William was seven, his mom became a believer. And being the woman of action that she was, she started taking William to what later became Moody Church. The preacher there at the time was R.A. Torrey, who later went on to found Biola University. Ah, yes, we have some friends out in Biola. Yes. So William became a believer quickly afterwards, and Bible study and prayer became part of his everyday life. He's described as a boy and later as a man who had a, quote, unflinching loyalty to the doing of hard things. Ooh, I, I like that. That's a really challenging thing to have had said about you. Now, now, when he was done with high school, he went on a trip, right? I remember his parents gifted him with a trip around the world, as one does when one is extremely wealthy. And he was accompanied by other older Christian men, or an older Christian man who was sort of a mentor and chaperone to him. And this trip kind of changed his life, right? Yes, it absolutely did. It was 1904 at this point, and while he was in India, here's what he wrote home. He said, I have so much of everything in this life. And there are so many millions who have nothing and live in darkness. I don't think it's possible to realize until one sees the East. I know it is no easy thing to serve the Lord, but others have been enabled to do so, and there's no reason that I should not. And then he quoted Mark 10, 27. Brad, can you read that for us? Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. That verse is from right after Jesus told his disciples it was easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it was for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Seems like a fitting verse for this rich young man as he's processing what God is calling him to. Yeah, as as I said, the, the trip really opened his eyes. He wrote to his parents and he told them that he was praying about becoming a missionary. Now, his mom was pleased, but his dad really wasn't. His dad asked him to wait and to make any big decisions like this until he turned 21. That had to have been difficult for his pro father to process. Now, what happened to William when he returned from his trip abroad? Well, not being one to waste any time, he immediately jumped back into the faith community at Moody Church, and he heard Tori speak on how to keep on in the Christian life. 
And Tori's instructions, his pastor's instructions, were really straightforward. It was, one, always look at Jesus. Two, keep confessing Jesus everywhere. Three, keep studying God's word. Four, keep praying every day. And five, go to work. Now, William wrote that he was doing the first four and starting the fifth. He dedicated himself to continuing to grow in Jesus, and in 1905, he started at Yale University. Now, he didn't like to advertise his wealth. Remember, he was fabulously wealthy, and he preferred to just be one of the guys. I guess it's understandable that he wouldn't want his money to be the main focus of his relationships, but I can't imagine with that much fervor for the gospel that he was able to, to be hidden or kept, you know, keep that from drawing attention. It makes me think of Matthew fifteen or five fourteen. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill can't be hidden. Absolutely. And William stood out. While he was there, he launched daily Bible study groups and prayer groups. And within two years, he had reached the entire university. To say in the least, uh, William was a high-capacity man. And his activities didn't just just stop there with, with Bible study and being a student. He was also active in wrestling, crew, sailing, and a fraternity. And then he funded and founded a work at a homeless shelter as well. Wow, that's a lot of work. Quite a guy. And now in, in 1906, he met another well-known individual, right? Samuel Zwemer. I love Samuel Zwemer. Today, he's unofficially known as the Apostle to Islam. Then he was known as the steam engine and breeches. <laughs> yes. And we were just saying that Borden did a lot. Well, Zwemer wrote more than 50 books. He served on the mission field for more than two decades. And, well, okay, maybe that's a better topic for another podcast. Suffice it to say, Zwemer worked very hard for a very long time. He absolutely did. And I think we now have about a dozen people already that we've said we should do a podcast about. So you and I are going to be pretty busy ourselves, Amy. <laughs> Yes, I guess we will be. Okay, so back to Big Will. How's that one feel? Eh, not so much. Okay, back back to William. The result of William Borden hearing Samuel Zwemer speak was that Borden was unshakably impressed with the need for the Muslim world to hear the gospel. Yes, but William had to finish school first, though. He graduated from Yale in 1909, and he attended Princeton Theological Seminary until he graduated in 1912. He was a pretty smart, well-educated dude, wasn't he? He certainly was. And by then, his reputation was such that he was a board member of the National Bible Institute and at one point was even in charge of the institute itself. He also worked with Moody Bible Institute. At the age of 22, he became a member of the North American Council of the China Inland Mission, Hudson Taylor's organization, until he was asked to step down because he was a candidate to go overseas himself. So, through all of this education and work, William was still burdened by the Muslims, this little boy who had the unflinching loyalty to the doing of hard things, felt that the Muslim world offered the hardest challenges and represented the most neglected field at the time for missionary work, and it was this difficulty that attracted him. So he resolved then that he was going to go to the Gansu province in northwest China. Mm. The more we talk about him, Amy, the more I like this guy. Yes, he was a great guy who served an even greater God. So then he decided he needed to get some language and cultural training first, which is always a good idea. So he, he uh, sailed to Cairo to study Islam and Arabic, and he was sent as a missionary with the North American uh, Council of the China Inland Mission to do this. Like so many other workers during this time period, he made out his will before he left. 
And when these men and women got on boats to go overseas, I mean, they didn't know what laid ahead. And William wanted to be sure that he was ready to wholeheartedly press forward. Right. And so he arrived in Cairo in early 1913. He spent time distributing sermons written in the local cultural style. He learned language, and he was just preparing the best that he could. So it was written of him during this time, and here's, here's the quote. Knowing that he had to learn Chinese, he came to Cairo to perfect himself in Arabic. Now, some people shrink from the foreign field, questioning, could I learn the language? Here was a man who deliberately set before himself the task of learning not one, but two of the most difficult languages in the world before entering upon his life work of declaring the unsearchable riches of Christ to the Chinese Muslims. And I think that's a fairly descriptive quote of the man. And so he kept busy as best as he could. But in March of that same year, he contracted meningitis and he died. And he was 25. Wow, which is so heartbreaking. So what of William Borden, this man who never actually set foot on the field he felt that God had called him to? Did he invest his life well? Yeah, it's a great question. And I love what happened next. Upon his death, his mother found his Bible. Uh, in it were written three phrases and three dates. The first was written, no reserve. And the date, this was the date when he renounced his fortune in favor of missionary life. The second said, no retreat. And this was dated after his father told him that he'd never hold a position in the family business if he persisted in this missionary endeavor. And the third was no regrets. And that was written in Cairo just before he died. I love it. The, the impact of his life and death were and, and is far-reaching. Because of his position, nearly every major newspaper reported his death, this millionaire-turned-missionary. So untold numbers of people around the world heard about his life and his faith. He was buried in the American Cemetery in Cairo, but he held there was memorial services held for him at Princeton, at a little church where he taught Sunday school, at the Yale Hope Mission, the one that he had helped found back in college, Moody Church, a church in New York, in Japan, Korea, India, and in South America. And in his will, which, as you said, he made out before he left, in his will it was found that he had bequeathed 800,000, or 14,087,000 or so today, to the China Inland Mission and a host of other, agent, other agencies. So he left more than $14 million in today's money. So one of William's co-laborers in student work wrote soon after William died, and this is what he said. He said, Few men plan their preparation with such care and earnestness or carry out their plans with such faithfulness. What great things we expected of him and how he is missed. But we have this assurance the life so truly given to God was his life, and the work William was preparing to do was his work. On his heart rests a far greater burden for the Muslims of China than we could possibly feel. He will not permit his work to suffer or be hindered because the servant was not allowed to enter upon it as he planned. Mm, that's so good and so true. Like so many other things, we can't measure the impact of our lives and sacrifices by just looking at measurable results. Somehow, in God's infinite plan and wisdom, it was a better thing for William to not go to the Gansu province himself. I love what William's classmate wrote on, on that. Can you read it for us, Amy? 
Yeah, here, here's what he said. Somehow, already, I seem able to look down the years a bit and see, not one but many giving up their all to the master to take up the work for the Muslims here in China, which William had planned to do. And then later he writes, May we not believe that God will, out of seeming loss, get great glory to himself and call many to fill the breach? William was taken while doing with great joy and enthusiasm the work to which God had called him. When my time comes, I pray that I may be found doing my Lord's work with like faithfulness and devotion. I pray too. Me too. There's a lot that, that can be encouraging and challenged, can ch- challenge us by uh, looking at the, the life of William Borden, Samuel Zwemer, that steam engine and breaches. Uh, he came along, he preached at William's funeral, and he said this, The real secret of this full-orbed life was that, like St. Paul, Borden could say, I have kept the faith. How many men in these days, men at the beginning of their ministry or in pulpits or at the end of their service have to cry, God knows I've lost the faith. Borden held to the Bible. He believed it from cover to cover. His faith had been tested, for he had met destructive criticism in his college courses. He had a grasp of the oracles of God. And to us, it was great joy to see that belief in in the book had made him a missionary. And if you get the chance to read Zwemer's full sermon, do it. It's so good. In the years and decades since William Borden's death, he continues to point people back to Jesus. And here's just one example. Kenneth Taylor, he was the translator of the Living Bible and a founder of the publisher Tyndale Tyndale House. He says that Borden's life, as shared through his biography that was written by Hudson Taylor's daughter-in-law, that this was the most influential book in his life besides the Bible. Which brings us back to this epitaph. Apart from faith in Christ, there's no explanation for such a life. Indeed. No reserve, no retreat, no regrets. May we all be able to say the same. And that's about all the time we do have for today. Uh, Remember to email us at podcast.onelink at gmail.com with any questions or topic ideas. We'll see you again next time. We'll see you next time. 